This morning, as we kind of look at our culture and we think about our culture today, our culture seeks to label people, right? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it everywhere. Um, we get labeled as people in all kinds of demographics, political affiliation, ethnicity, even income levels um, are just a, a few ways that people are put into boxes, right? I mean, we have these terms today like one percenters, and uh, we have terms today that, uh, that define or at least seem to uh, at least put people in these, these boxes. And so rather than bringing about kind of unity and respect, uh, people have actually been pitted against each other, which has led to adversarial relationships. Uh, and then, too, in our culture, uh, a culture which claims to value tolerance, swift justice and condemnation are the norm when political correctness is violated or when a crime is committed. Even closer than just kind of these outside things that are away from us, For many, we have experienced being personally attacked or betrayed or hurt or, frankly, even just annoyed by somebody. Somebody just gets under our skin. And the truth is, is that disdain or judgment for those people can actually reign in our hearts. We've seen that. We've seen in our own lives when somebody's just annoying and we actually begin to find disdain for them, Right? begin to find ourselves judging them. And our hearts are not right before us. And so this morning, with this in mind, we're going to actually pick up our series in 1 Samuel. And we last left off in 1 Samuel at the beginning of June. We took some time to look at living sacrifices and what it meant to be a living sacrifice. And we've taken the last few weeks to look at our mission and what it means to to be, all, to, to be all of Christ and all of life for all the world. And for this season, we're going to be picking up back in our Samuel series. For the next couple months, we'll be back in here leading up to our time in Advent. We'll be stopping along the way to, to be focusing periodically once a month on our mission. But I want us to dive back into 1 Samuel this morning and to go back and, and remember for a few minutes what had been taking place where Saul had been chasing David once David had been anointed by God as king, but one that would be waiting for the kingdom of Saul to come to an end. And the truth is, is that although Saul is aware of this, he continues to be blinded and he continues to seek the life of David. Well, this morning we're going to see in 1 Samuel 24 that although that David has an opportunity to actually kill Saul, his enemy, David lovingly demonstrates mercy towards Saul in obedience to the Lord. You see, God has called us as his followers to love our enemies in the way that God has loved us as we were once his enemies. So let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read 1 Samuel 24. As we read this scripture, feel free to follow along on the screens, or if you have your Bibles with you, you feel free to follow along as well. We're going to be reading the whole text here, 22 verses, and this is what it says. It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Saul rose up and left the cave 
and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day, have you have dealt with, well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you surely, you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. David swore this to Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that it be through your spirit that we have understanding. We pray, God, that we would see through your eyes, with your ears, Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would be changed, that they would be refreshed, that they would be challenged. And Father, I pray most of all that you would be glorified, that it would be your name that's known, your goodness and righteousness. Father, we pray that you would take your word and you would implant it in our heart this morning that we might know, Father, how to love our enemies as you have loved us. That we might love you by loving those, God, that we, we see even if just temporarily in our hearts as an enemy, as one who, who bugs or annoys or one who has harmed or hurt. Lord God, may we love others because you've loved us first. And Father, may we rejoice in the beauty of your mercy and your grace this morning. Bring your word forth in power and boldness today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is the fact that loving our enemies exposes the condition of hearts and reveals the true king. Loving our enemies exposes the condition of hearts and reveals the true king. Loving exposes the king. That's true. At the heart of this passage is loving exposes the king, the true Messiah. Now notice in verse 1 it says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Now, 
Saul is out, and he's, he's been out battling with the Philistines. He gets word that David, the one that he is now chasing after, is in Gedi. Now, the region of En Gedi actually is interesting. It's, it's north of the Dead Sea. It is up in a, an area or a region that was rich and full of, of water. It was a place where sheep can pasture. And we're told that Saul actually leaves from following the Philistines from this encampment to then go chase after David. And it says here that he didn't go by himself, but rather Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel. Now think about that for a minute. In our day, we think of like prisoners that are high-profile prisoners. You might at best see six or ten police officers chasing them. The equivalent of this is he pulled 3,000 men to come after David. It tells you the mindset of Saul. Now David had men with him as well. We know that it was numbered at about 600. But Saul takes his choicest of men to come after David. And he comes up to this region of Engedi, and it says that Saul took these 3,000 men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. Now, what's happening here is that the sheepfold, these, these caves, would have actually provided shelter. It, what he's saying is this cave was no ordinary cave. It wasn't like we find where you walk inside and there's about four bodies that can fit inside the cave. This was a massive cave with lots of different channels, lots of different ways to move about. And it says that Saul actually, of all things, enters the cave in which David and his men are hiding. Now think about this. David and his men are hiding in a cave in Engedi, and Saul comes into that same cave. Now it says here that he came in to relieve himself. It's kind of comical. The literal Hebrew here is to cover your feet. Saul went in to cover his feet. That was the terminology. If you can imagine, you can imagine why. There was a reason to cover your feet if you were going to the bathroom. And so Saul, in this particular case, what it's implying here is that Saul was in a place that was a pretty vulnerable situation, if you can imagine. He's going to the bathroom. He's, he's vulnerable. He has no way, he has no weapon or sword with him. And he's completely vulnerable to any kind of attack. This is the perfect opportunity to take Saul's life and probably everybody's worst nightmare, right? Most of us don't want to go see the Lord when we're sitting in the bathroom. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that for many of us would be an embarrassing moment, right? Saul is in this moment where he is completely vulnerable. That's what's being implied here. He's, he's completely vulnerable. He has no position to fight. He's all alone. And actually, if he were to die in this manner, it would be completely, utterly humiliating. And it says here that the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I'm not sure how that happened. But what we know is that David somehow made his way into the cave and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it says that as soon as he had done this, then David arose afterward, and David's heart struck him because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now what's important about this is that it may seem like just a, a trivial thing that this robe was cut. But the truth is, is that the robe, the royal robe, actually signified a transfer of power. And when that robe was damaged or tainted, it meant that the power of the king was being transferred to another king. And so David had actually symbolically invalidated Saul as king. And so David immediately recognizes 
that the implication of his act was in essence coming in and thwarting God's timing for the removal of Saul as king. And so David is struck to the heart. His conscience hits him. Because what David had been instructed was he was not to touch, to put his hand against the Lord's anointed. In fact, we're told here that he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Immediately, his conscience is pricked. God speaks to him, and he's like, man, I did the wrong thing here. Now, you can imagine, he was in the council of other men. Those friends around him were saying, listen, it's okay. It's not such a big thing. All the while, David, knowing what the Lord had impressed upon his heart, you are not to touch the Lord's anointed. This is not to be in your timing, but is to be in mine. See, David knew that it actually was a rebellion against God. Matthew Henry says it's a good thing to have a heart within us smiting us for sins that seem little. It's a sign that conscience is awake and tender and will be the means of preventing greater sins. See, those men around David in that moment most likely would have looked at that situation and said it's no big thing. But David knew otherwise. And that's even true in our own lives. That when the Lord is pricking our spirit, we can say, oh, I know what's going on inside my heart, and somebody else goes, it's really no big thing. But we know where our heart was. Ever gone to somebody and asked for forgiveness, and they go, I didn't even think twice about it. Right. Because the reality was, God was working on our heart. God was revealing things within our own heart and in our own life. Truthfully, as a a brother and sister in Christ, when somebody comes to us and seeks forgiveness for the little things, rather than blowing it off, we need to just say, hey, thanks. And I want to encourage you to keep listening to the Lord. Right? Because that's what we need. We need hearts that are tender to the leading of the Spirit, even in the small things. And that's where David's at. In fact, It says here that David went and David actually persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Now that word persuaded actually means to tear apart. These guys were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's get him. He's ready. He's ripe. He's been put on a platter. Let's take him out. This is the war. The guy that's been warring with us all the time, seeking your life and our life. Let's take him out. The scripture says here that David cut him down with the word. He let the word do the talking, preventing them from moving forward and from harming Saul. F.B. Meyer says it was a trifling matter, and yet it seemed dishonoring to God's anointed king, and as such it hurt David to have it done it. We sometimes in conversation and criticism cut off a piece of a man's character or influence for good or standing in the esteem of others. Ought not our own hearts smite us for such thoughtless conduct? Ought we not make confession and reparation? See, David wasn't going to let his men do the same. And so he pushes forward in response to the word of God. David's heart is struck because of his love for God. Not only is it struck, it causes him then to then move forward walking in the commandment of God. And so what we see actually arising is that David loves God by loving his enemies. And in the same way, we're called to love God by loving our enemies. One of the ways. 
And so how do we love God by loving our enemies? We see a picture of it right here with David's life. The first here is in verses 6 through 7, which is a submission to God's word. A submission to God's word. It says, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with what? These words. These words. David just brought scripture to bear. If we're going to love our enemies, the first place that we have to be submitted to is God and his word. It won't work otherwise. We can try all we want to love our enemies apart from God, but it will never happen. Now, sometimes our enemies are going to be like Saul, who are physically trying to take our lives. Other times, it could be the person that's just annoying us and ruffling our feathers and getting underneath our skin. Still other times, it could be that person that hurt us or betrayed us who seems to really truly deserve what they get. Ever had that person in your life where you, they've wronged you and you just go, man, I sure hope they get that rightful punishment. Ever had that person in your life, in all honesty, where you've gone, they sure aren't gonna like hell. The prideful position of seeing ourselves not in the way that Christ has seen us. That we were once enemies to him, and through his love and mercy, we now have relationship with him, and we are called friends. See, the very thing, the very love that God has displayed towards us is the very love that God is calling us to display towards our enemies. And the only way that we can love our enemies, the only way we can do that is by submitting first to him and his word. Submitting to God and his word. 1 John 5, 2-3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Whoa. His commandments are not burdensome. The only way that his commandments will not be burdensome is by Christ living and working in us, seeing ourselves in relation to a righteous and holy God. That's it. See, if I see myself as no better than the enemy who seems to be present in my life, I will have a picture of a gracious and merciful God who saved one enemy so that another might be saved. Starts with our submission to God and his word. The second way that we love God by loving our enemies is we have to approach it with humility and honor. We have to approach the individual with humility and honor. Verse 8 says, Afterwards, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. David gave Saul and called Saul by his rightful position. My Lord, the King. Now, I don't know about you guys, but there are times in your life when somebody falls into that place of an enemy and you may look at them and go, the last thing I want to call you is what you are called positionally. I mean, we see that in our world all over. We have no idea what it really means to respect people with differing points of view. They become enemies instantly. We live in a culture that that vilifies everything. One side to the next. If you're in one camp, you're not over here. You're in another camp, and we have an adversarial relationship with enemies. There is no unity.
We call people by disrespectful names. Some of the best ways to see that is in the day of our own politics. People have lost respect for an office or a position. And one party to the next will turn and find derogatory terms to refer to the other person's or party's president. The truth is, is that God has called us to deal with people in an honorable way. I can tell you right now that David coming underneath Saul in this moment, you can bet that in David's eyes in that moment, that as he humbled himself, he knew that God was his king and Lord and yet that God had still anointed Saul to be king and that David was still underneath Saul and Saul still was to be in a position of honor. And so David humbles himself and treats him with that honor and respect. When we're loving our enemies, we have to do the same thing. We have to treat people with honor. We have to treat them with humility, lower ourselves. Boy, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy when somebody's hurt us or annoyed us to stop showing honor. It's easy to get puffed up, isn't it? I mean, isn't it amazing that David didn't lead out here with, I could have killed you, Saul, you lucky guy? But what does he do? He bows, he pays homage. And he calls him, my Lord, the King. We have a Savior who showed honor to us, even in the midst of our rebellion. The truth is, Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then catch this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about that for a minute. Think about the way the world operates. When it doesn't like somebody, it doesn't show honor. In fact, we live in a culture today that says, listen, the only way that you're going to get respect is if you respect me first. And when we think about that just for a moment, that leads to a bunch of people who never respect each other because somebody has to start. And what God's saying here is, listen, I'm the initiator of relationship. I've already demonstrated honor towards you. Now you go and demonstrate honor towards others. Outdo. Outdo others in showing honor. Whoa. What a different kingdom, isn't it? God's kingdom is so different than the earthly kingdom. The third way that we love God by loving our enemies is to demonstrate merciful righteousness. To demonstrate merciful righteousness. Verse 9 through 11 says, And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Notice David here. When we're hurt, we're annoyed, we're quick to assume motivations. And we condemn and accuse right away. But Christ, Christ shows merciful righteousness towards us. He deals with us rightly in his mercy. Now David begins by asking in verse 9, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? He doesn't look at Saul and say, You chump. You believed all those liars. You know who I am. Why in the world would you actually follow them? Now, David starts 
with this humility, but then he demonstrates this merciful righteousness. He deals with Saul rightly. He doesn't manipulate Saul to get an answer that he desires. He doesn't trick him into saying the truth. He doesn't even take it into his own hands. You see, Saul was a dead man that day. And yet David spares his life. He shows him mercy when he was destined for death. He shows him mercy when he was destined for death. Now listen. It's the very thing that Jesus does for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. See, although Saul is seeking the life of David, David does not sin against him. He deals with Saul righteously. And we're called to do the same. We're called to deal with our enemies in a merciful and righteous way. When they seek our forgiveness, we're to grant it. And we're to deal with them with right motives and right hearts and right actions. David Guzik says this, sometimes when we have a promise from God, we think we are justified in sinning to pursue that promise. This is always wrong. God will fulfill his promises, but he will do it his way and do it righteously. Instead, we need to be like Abraham who obeyed God even when it seemed to be at the expense of God's promise, his son, willing to sacrifice the son of promise. Even more, we need to be like Jesus who didn't take Satan's offer to win back the world at the expense of obedience. The truth is, is that when we're dealing with our enemies, we need to deal in a righteous manner. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24 says this, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He did not return evil for evil. Think about those friends that David had around him in the cave. Listen, guess what? His actions justify your actions. Go take them out. And David knew differently that David's Lord was God. Our actions are not justified by the actions of another. Our actions are only justified by the one true king. And they are justified through and by his word. See, Jesus had the opportunity to bring us to destruction because of our rebellion and because we were enemies of God, and yet Jesus goes to the cross, and not only does he give us life, but he bears the weight of our sin. He takes upon what is rightfully ours, and he puts it on him, so that we might have life in him. That's an awesome thing. That's the beauty of Jesus. That the essence of his grace is that we don't get what we deserve and that we're granted something that we never deserved life with him so that brings us then to the fourth thing and that fourth thing is that we have to entrust judgment and deliverance to the Lord we have to entrust judgment and deliverance to the Lord 
In verses 12 through 15, it says, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. And then it goes down and it says, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. The Lord will be the vindicator. Even in situations where we can't see it, even in situations where we want to defend ourselves and ruin another person, God is the vindicator. It's easy. When you're under attack, when your integrity's in question, it's easy to come up fighting. But guess what? God is our vindicator. God has called us to continue to love. I have a picture that often rises up in my head when that defensiveness inside me rises up. And I remember playing in a basketball game years ago. And I'd finally got this individual to come to, 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 to church with me. And we were playing basketball with a group of Christian guys. This one guy who was another leader in the church as they were playing was a physical game of basketball. It was pretty competitive and, and pretty rough. And so this friend that I had brought slapped his hand down and it caught the guy right on the top of the thumb. It kind of jammed his thumb. And as much as I love this guy, and I, I love him, he's, he's a man that I believe has God's heart, and yet he acted like many of us would in that situation. Rather than looking at it going, oh man, my thumb, he turned around and came up with both fists up at this guy, this guy that I had brought, that had taken all kinds of time trying to finally get him to come with me. And I remember the look of shock on this guy's face. And I remember the anger in this guy's face with his fists up. And as we walked away, as we left to go home, we played for another few minutes, and then we, we finished the game and, and left to go home. And I remember the guy sitting in the car with me, and he said, listen, I could never, I could never really hang out with Christians because he's like, even I wouldn't do that. Now, that's a self-righteous position, is it not? But... There was an opportunity to show love. There was an opportunity to display the hope of Christ, and it was a missed opportunity. And I think of that often when we become to get, we get defensive and we want to defend ourselves and we want to lash out rather than love. We're taking the same posture as that guy with the fists up, and the only thing that people are seeing is the world and not Christ. God is our vindicator. God is our vindicator. It's actually during this time that David writes Psalm 7. Listen how it begins in Psalm 7. This is theme. It says, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. David's saying the only true source of deliverance is God. Is God. He's the only one. And so David's confidence is fully in the Lord's justice and deliverance. He makes it clear that out of the wicked comes wickedness. And what he's basically saying is that character is revealed by conduct. He's not the guilty one. Saul is. And Saul will have to reckon with God's judgment. Saul will have to reckon with God's judgment. See, in Romans 12, 19 through 21, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the essence of forgiveness. David entrusts Saul and his outcome to the Lord. When we forgive someone, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I no longer hold this against you, and I entrust you to the Lord. 
I actually want to watch this for a moment and practice. Let me set this up just for a minute. Two weeks ago, many of you may have heard, many of you may have already seen this, but in Dallas, an off-duty Dallas police officer was charged with murder and convicted of murder against an African-American person that was in their own apartment. Mistakenly, she thought she was in her own apartment. When she arrived and pushed open the door, he was in there and she shot and killed him. Throughout the city of Dallas, there have been protests. Throughout the city of Dallas, there have been calls for, for changes and significant changes and even for greater and swifter penalty of punishment. At the end of her trial, during the sentencing phase, they were expecting some more people to come forward and testify to the loss that had been given. On that day, the man who had been murdered, his brother, took the stand immediately following lunch. And this is what I want us to show, is to see a heart of forgiveness that comes forward. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just, I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes.
tremendous example of forgiveness, is it not? Is not what David does here. He chooses to respond in love because of his love for God, that God has called him to a place of love because what? Because God has instructed him to walk in his love and David walks in his love because of the love that God has shown him. See, every single one of us has been an enemy of God. And apart from Christ, we would still be enemies of God. And the call that God is calling us to is one where we are submitted to him as the Lord of our life. And the truth is, is that if we have not submitted ourselves to Christ, if we have not confessed him as Lord, we are still an enemy of God. And this gospel that is today is God's mercy being displayed towards you and I so that we might repent and believe on Christ for our salvation. That his name might be glorified. So what is the result then of loving God by loving our enemies? It's simple that the true king, Jesus Christ, is able to be seen and he is glorified. The result is Jesus Christ glorified. That's the result. When we love God by loving our enemies, Jesus Christ is glorified. Notice what it says. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. Now it's amazing. Saul sees the contrast between the evilness of his own life and the goodness of David's. That's what we have. When we love our enemies as we love God, that's what they see. The contrast between the wickedness of the world and the goodness of God. Saul, even still, does not repent. It says he was sorrowful, and we know later that he actually continues in his way an attempt to destroy David later on. But he's sorrowful. And one pastor summarized it well when he says, in fact, it's the worst kind of emotional response if it doesn't result in repentance. Alan Redpath continues, if a man is emotionally upset as Saul was and awakens to his condition but only weeps about it and still doesn't obey God, his second state is a thousand times worse than his first. Emotion or sorrow that does not lead to action only leads deeper into sin and rebellion. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, when we love our enemies, it's not just about that person coming to know Jesus. It's the name of Christ might be glorified. You see, even Saul was able to say, David, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. He's able to see the true king. God is glorified, Christ is glorified. Romans 2 tells us this. And then we're wrapping up. But he says this. Paul speaking on behalf of this aspect of God's judgment in the face of Christ's mercy. It says this. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, 
that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I hope this morning is that as we see David love Saul in response to God and his word, that we too may be a people who in response to Christ's love for us moves us to love our neighbor and our enemy well for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage Thanks for helping us see, God, in our own flesh when times where we want to be the vindicators. May we be a people who allow you to be the vindicator. May we be a people who love our enemies well. And Father, in loving them, may your name be glorified. May we see that there is a blessing in loving you and loving others and loving our enemies. And may we see that you are made known, regardless of whether somebody responds to your grace or not, your name is glorified and known. So Father, may we live for your glory. And Father, may we love you and others well. And we ask this in your name. Amen.